Guys, it's August 8th. Could you believe that? That means in five weeks, the summer will be over. And I'll be, I don't mean to depress you. I like the fall. That's my favorite season. But you know what's getting me discouraged? The fact that the sun is going down earlier every day. That's really getting me. That's what I like. I, I don't mind cold weather, but I hate when it's like 5 o'clock and the sun's down. I get the dreadies. So anyway, glad being with you. Thanks for the scripture reading. Um, I know it was long, but there was a method to my madness, which you'll find out soon. Um, so here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to think right now about a goal, an objective, a thing you want, okay, sometime in the future. Uh, it could be, you know, something about a relationship. You'd like to meet someone and get married. You're married, you want to have kids. You want something about your family, about your finances. You want to see your 401k increase. You want to climb up the ladder of success at your company, right? Uh, you want to move somewhere. You want to take a special vacation. You want to get healed. You want to feel 100% healed. You want to buy a property. Maybe you're involved in ministry. You want to see it come to its fruition to get a lot of people in there or whatever it is. So take a minute and just think about what this thing may be and we'll continue. Okay, you may have more than one thing, but the, I would guess, whatever that is, you want it to happen ASAP, high importance on the email, right? That's what you want. You don't want to wait for anything, neither do I. Um, I recall a few years back, I was sitting in my office and I started getting stomach pains and I wasn't feeling well. And uh, I was a little concerned, so I called up my friend, he's a Christian, and I told him what was going on. He says, I'll pray for you, I think you'll be okay. He says, I said, okay, but I want to get healed now. He says, well, it'll take a little time, I think. God will heal you, but it may take time. He says, why? I want to get healed now, I want to feel better right now. He said, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, you may have to go to the doctor, get some meds, but you'll be fine. It may take two, three weeks. I said, I don't want that. He says, you'll be fine, it's going to be a process. I says, what? Process, process, I don't care about that, I want to get healed now. Well, what happened was exactly what he said. Took a couple of weeks. I went to a doctor. Wasn't sure what it was. Took x-rays, took medication. And then in a couple of weeks, with that and God's grace, I got healed. And my friend was right. But then I noticed this word process. It was coming up all over the place after the whole incident. So um, I was in the office in the elevator, and a woman was talking about her daughter. You know, she said, the, admin the admissions process at this college is crazy. Then I went to a meeting with our CFO, and he says, I know about the goal. I know about the end game. I want to know the process to get there. And I put on the TV, government process, immigration process, or lack of. Um, LeBron James would say, life is a process. And I, I love NHL hockey, and I was watching somebody said, you know what? The season is a process. It's a process of ups and downs, and so on and so forth. So I was hearing this all over the place. I said, wow, life is a process, decision-making process. Um, woman, when you have a baby, it's a nine-month process, right? Um, how many people like wine? None of the hair. Oh, you can raise your hand. The passenger's back there, but he'll, he's, he, that's okay. <laughs> I love wine. I've been to Napa Valley. I've been to Bordeaux. And we want the, the glass of wine, right? But the process when they stomp on the grapes and everything to get to the end is fascinating. It's very interesting. Uh, to see that process play out when you're in, in those wineries and then have the wine, it just changes everything. You learn so much during that time. So I said, well, if process is so important in life, where did it originate from? It had to be come from somewhere. It just didn't come to being. And I remember Pastor Drew preached on Genesis a couple of years ago, and he was talking about 
Genesis means the origin of things, the beginning of things. And I thought about uh, Genesis 1. And I thought about the way God created life. And I said, it's not evolution. But if God wanted to, he could have spoken everything in one day, uh, right away in one time, right? But he chose to do it orderly over a week, six days, seven days, whatever you choose to believe. And it was a process. You notice that. And after each day, he was not in a rush to get to the next day like we are as New Yorkers. He was not saying, what's the next thing? What's going on? Let me put my app on. Let me, let me zoom this, zoom that. He was taking his time and he'd take a step back and say, this is very good. Right? And then we go to the next day and we do the same thing. And the next day in two, he got to the end and he said, this is very good. Okay? Now, uh, if you put up slide three, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn it up. Main, uh, three main, next one. Yeah. Three key points to keep in mind. You know what? If you give me a second, I'd like to read from my, I have the slides here. I think it's better for, for us. Uh, yeah. We are a microwave society people. God, for the most part, is a conventional oven God. I came up with that. <laughs> so he's not a, in a rush to get things done as soon as possible. He's much more interested in teaching us, growing us uh, into his image, showering us with his love and grace. Processes are an important part of life. Creation was a process. Processes take time. God uses life processes to teach um, us, impart to us, grow to us, speak to us. God uses processes to mature us, to prepare us to fulfill his plan, purposes, his calling for our lives. I'll be getting to that at the end, and that'll be a good way to transition over to Sarah's class on calling. But we're going to save that to the end. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, if you could put up the next slide. Now, two important processes that God instituted for us. Married, marriage, justification, sanctification. So for those of you who are married, uh, the day you said, I do, to your beloved, right, is the day you got married. But then over the next 30, 40 years, 50 years, that's marriage. And that's a lifelong process of growing together. Maybe you'll have kids or not, but just learning about each other, growing, hopefully growing in God, having your ups and downs, but just learning more about God and each other. Uh, justification, sanctification. Justification, right, is the day that you meet Jesus, the day in your life or your journey that you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need your grace, and Jesus comes into your life. Uh, sanctification is the working of that out over the next 30, 40, 50 years. That God is, you know, we're saved, but then God's got to work things out and work things out and grow us, mature us, get out the kings, get out the, the mistakes, the, the things that, to make us more like Christ. So those examples of two processes that God gave us that are very important. Now, you think about the Bible, Abraham, Moses, right? Uh, Joseph, Paul, David. God had a plan, a calling, a destiny, a purpose for them, just as he does for each of us, right? But it wasn't like automatic, they had to go through certain things. God allowed them to go through certain things, difficulties, challenges, because that's the only way to shape us, to mature us, to prepare us for the purpose and plans he has down the line. Okay. Um, you know, I, as I said to you earlier, think about a goal, a, the, you know, something you want in your life, and we all want that to happen right away. But that's not the way God works, and that's not the way life works. Uh, could take a couple months, could take a year, three years, five years. It's all in God's perfect timing. And the key is, well, we have that, you know, out there. Are we following God? Are we listening to him, aware of what he's doing in our, our life? Could you put up the next slide? Got it. 
Man or woman looks at the goal, the objective, the end game. God looks at the process. So you're familiar with football, right? You have two end zones. So you have one end zone and you have another end zone. And let's say we're a team and we're on the 30-yard line with a football. We want to get to the end zone 70 yards down, right? We're on the 30 and another 70 yards is a touchdown as fast as we can, right? But God, if he was playing football with us, he'd say, okay, here's the 30-yard line. Here's the end zone. I want to get there too, but I'm not in a rush to get there. I don't care if it takes 20 plays or 25 plays. I'd rather do that and learn how to get down the field and, 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 and to teach us about our team and what's going on in this process of getting to the, to, to the touchdown. And that's the way God looks at things. Now, God sometimes works fast. He does. For the most part, I look at it. Maybe we look at God. You're working slow. See? But God is not on my timetable. He's not on our table. He's trying to teach us things. And for us to listen takes time. Um, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, a teenager, even in my 20s, even now, does anybody ever get the Sunday night dreadies? Oh, man. I got to get up tomorrow for work. <laughs> then you get up Monday morning. Is it Friday at 5 o'clock yet? I'm even out of bed. I'm thinking about Friday at 5 o'clock. And then I'm, I can sleep late on the weekends, get together with friends, maybe go away for a day, then church Sunday. Here's the issue. I'm wishing away 80% of the week. 80% of the week I want to wish away to get to Friday. And there's a lot of good things. I know the stress of the job with kids, with a relationship sometimes. But you know what? I'm missing things. I'm missing things about my life. I'm looking at that Friday. And God is trying to be present with us each day as we go through life. And I'm focused on 5 o'clock Friday, and I might be missing out on a lot of things, and I still struggle with that. How many people here like to wait online? Anybody here? Why aren't any hands going up? You, know I mean? you don't like to wait for the subway? You don't like to wait in traffic? You don't like to wait online for food? What's the matter with you guys? If you've ever asked God to teach me to be more patient, I can guarantee you're going to be waiting on a lot of lines in life. Because right? that's the way God works. It's happened to me. Thank you for the laugh. <laughs> but waiting is a powerful process that God uses us to be patient, to trust in him when we don't see anything happening, to realize that we are not control, to impart things to us, to take, teach us to take a step back just like he did in Genesis and say, wait a minute, I want, you know, I want to get out of here. I'm tired of waiting online. I'm tired of waiting. But what could God be speaking to me about here? What is he trying to teach me? What is he trying to impart I mean, when I, I want this class to be over. I want the workday to be over. You know, I, I want this trial to be over. I want the kids to grow up. I, you know, I, I want to get married. And that's okay. But God's trying to teach us that. You know, we're talking about the antithesis of the Manhattan lifestyle here. That's what we're talking about. So let me give you some examples of practically how it would work out. Now, me doing the sermon, I'll give you an example. So me and Drew, Drew had asked me to preach, and we chose August 8th. That's why we're taking a, a break from the other... Uh, uh, series because I'm not on staff so I, I speak a couple times a year and I was busy at work I'm going away for a week after you know today and I wasn't feeling I'm at, I got a COVID test the other day don't worry I'm negative um, but all that stuff was going on and so I said and I started preparing this three four weeks ago putting notes on word praying put Bible verses I spent 12 hours and even at the beginning of this week I was going crazy with everything else and I didn't feel right and I was like sweating and everything frantic and then I said God then Thursday night I came home and I started praying. I just sat for the first time and rested just before God not saying anything. He started speaking to me. And then 10 minutes later, I knew what to do. So I had to change the sermon. But between Thursday and today, it took me half the time that three weeks took me. You see, sometimes what I, we do is we get so frantic and involved in things. And we put effort. We need to we put too much in our jobs and this, relationships and this and that. And sometimes we need it. But sometimes, you know what? It, God loves us, but he's not in that. 
And that's why we're stressed now, because we're people that got to get things. We can't stay still. We can't take our time. We got to rush this. And then we sweat it, and we're missing what God has for us during that time. Okay? So let me give you some other examples. Maybe you are in between jobs or looking for a relationship to get married or something about your finances. God could teach you as you're waiting for that, different things about your relationship with him. Maybe you're going through a uh, life changes. There's a lot of instability in your life and you're, you're sweating it out and everything. And Jesus is a reminder, you're teaching that he's your stability. Uh, maybe you want to have children. You haven't yet. Maybe it's just a process God's preparing you for that. Maybe you do have kids. And uh, I'm not a parent, so I can't speak that much about it, but I love when people adopt people I've seen as great or single parents. I know that's probably the toughest job, but regardless of if you were a couple and you're saying, you know, I love my kid, but I want them to mature, grow up, graduate, you know, get out of the house. <laughs> and that's great, but God's saying, yeah, but you know what? I'm trying to teach you things through your kids. Uh, yes, we're trying to teach you, but I'm trying to teach you things through your kids, and, and you're missing it because you're in a rush for that to happen. You're not with the process I'm on. And maybe you're waiting for healing. You know, I, I've been through that. I struggle with physical things. And we want it right away. And sometimes God heals right away. But sometimes God doesn't heal right away. Why? Probably because he wants to show you that in when we're weak, he is strong. And that he will heal us, but he's going to take that through us. And we need to rely on him to learn to rely on him through that process. Maybe you, you want to have a difficult situation of trial. Maybe things are not struggling in your relationships. The media asked the baseball manager, about the, the way a season was going a couple years ago because his team was struggling. And he said, listen, it's a process. It's not something we're going to abandon what we believe in as a culture as a team because we're not working right away. We believe that at the end we're going to be a good team, but it's a process we're going through to learn and we believe we're going to win at the end. You know, uh, I'm a hockey fan, and I remember guys saying, you know, this whole season, the ups and downs, it's a process. It's a process to get where we're going. And there's some good days and some bad days playing, you know. And so, yeah. Uh, interesting enough, I went to a prayer training years ago, and they said that Paul prayed 64 times for the church. But not in one of those prayers, there was nothing about getting the, the churches out of the difficulties of delivering from the trials. Isn't that interesting? 64 times he prayed, nothing about God set us free, get us out of this situation. Why? Because Paul had a grasp. But God, people were on, the church was on a journey. God was using the processes that they were going through, the difficulties to shape them, to mold them as a people, as a church, for the purpose and plans he has for them. So Paul had a grasp for that. Okay? Um, now, I'm not saying if you're in a volatile or abusive situation to stay in that. No, no way we're that, not hearing that. I'm just saying that. We have a tendency when there's difficult challenges to want it end right away. And I can understand that. I want that too. But that's usually not the way God works in our lives. He works in good things, things we get, but he also usually works to prepare us in the struggles and trials and difficulties we have. Uh, could you put the, new, the next slide up, Graham Cook, please? Yeah. Manifesting your spirit. God is not interested in simply helping people to a destination. He's acutely concerned with how we get there and wants to be with us on that journey. Most of us want problems resolved overnight so we could go back to normal. God simply does not work that way. He wants to walk the trail with us, giving us wisdom, revelation, and his presence. Sure, we should have goals. We should plan. Nothing wrong with that. But remember, in addition to that, God is working with us on that football field, the journey, the, the march down the football field. You know? uh, now, let me give you an example of how I messed up God's process journey for someone else. Years ago, uh, we had a home group in Queens when I was at New Life Fellowship Church where I met Drew. And uh, this uh, middle-aged man, nice Irish man, would come. He was more from the traditional church background as I am, and that's fine. But he wasn't, he hadn't, 
been in a relationship with Christ yet, but God had him on a journey. So he came for a couple months, and he would sit there. we do fellowship, Bible study, prayer, and he would participate a little bit, listen. That's fine. And I would get together with him once in a while. He'd come over. We'd have coffee, play some games together, and we'd go out for lunch. So one night after three months, um, one of the women there, great prayer warrior, uh, Holy Spirit, but she was Pentecostal. She would say, Daryl, at the end, is Jim driving you home tonight? I says, yeah. She said, this is the night. I said, this is the night for what? She goes, you've got to tell him about Jesus, and he needs to accept Christ tonight. I says, um, well, why? I mean, I want him to, but, well, because you never know. It could be a car accident, or God could call him somewhere else, and he'll be out of group, and he won't hear about Jesus. I says, I don't know if I feel that's right with Daryl. You have to do it. Yeah, I feel it in my spirit. I said, okay. So he drives me home, and I'm getting, I said, Jim, can I ask you something? Have you thought about accepting Christ? He says, well, what do you mean? And I went through, he says, I'm not ready yet. I said, Jesus, uh, Jim, it's very important. I said, Daryl, I don't want to talk about it right now. And I kept pushing, Daryl, as I left, I called him two days later, Jim, how you doing? Hey, Daryl, listen. He says, listen, Daryl, I, I love you. I'm not coming to the group no more. I says, why not? I feel uncomfortable. I feel that you pressed me. I said, no, I didn't mean that. I, Jimmy, let me explain. No, no, there, I got to go. I'm not mad at you, but I can't come no more. But Jim, I said, goodbye, Dad. Jim, 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 don't hang up the phone. That was the last I heard from him. Mm. Now, something happened to me in my journey like that, and then later on I met the Lord, so I have confidence that God is more than capable to correcting my mess-ups for Jim, and I hope so. But, yes, my sister meant well, and she pressured me, but it was my responsibility. I made a mistake. God had a a timetable. He was in the process on his journey. Could have took another six months, year, two years, but I tried to rush him in and I messed up God's process for him. That's why it's important to be in tune with God, to listen to him. When we're, well, I want this to end and he's saying, whoa, the whole of the horses. I love you. It's going to end when I say so, but I'm trying to meet you and teach you through that time about my purpose, my plan, my calling for you. Now, Put up that slide again about the three key points, please. I just got to find it. Yeah. We're in the home stretch, guys. Uh, we are a microwave society. People, God, for the most part, is a conventional loving God. He is not in a rush to get things done ASAP. He is much more interested in teaching us, growing us in his image, showering us with love and grace. Processes are an important part of life. Creation was a process. Processes take time. God uses life's processes to teach us, impart us, to grow us, to speak to us. And last but not least, God uses processes to mature us, to prepare us, to fulfill his planned purposes, his calling for our lives. And Sarah's going to be teaching that great course in a little bit. Um, put up the next slide. Plan, purpose, calling. God has a plan, a purpose, a calling for all our individual lives and as a community here at Midtown Manhattan. There was a pastor, Alan Parr, I saw some of his sermons online. So he spoke about this concept of revealing and concealing. How one of the way God works in the Old Testament, New Testament, in our lives, is that sometimes, well, God will reveal something to us about his, one of his purpose and plans. He'll reveal a little bit to us, whether it's through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through a sermon, through something watched on TV, through just a dream. But he's not going to reveal everything. And it's going to be a process to that thing comes to fruition. The purpose plan could be three years, five years, ten years, fifteen years. There's two reasons he doesn't reveal it. Number one, because if we knew everything, we're probably going to focus on that and we're going to miss what God has and what's going on in daily life. But the second important thing is that God, to get us to that purpose and plan from the time the revelation comes, God is going to allow some tough things in our lives, some difficulties, some trials. He loves us. He's going to be with us because that's how he shapes us, molds us to get in the position to, um, yeah, 
to fulfill that plan for him. I'll quickly tell you a story, then I'm going to read a story from the Bible, I'm going to close up. Um, and actually, this sermon's probably going to go five minutes to normal, but I have to do it because I want to have like something jet to Sarah's class. I put something at the end, so bear with me. Uh, very quickly, I came from a separated home, but when I was five years old, I went to Catholic church, and a priest befriended me. He'd come over, my mom was there, he'd have dinner, he'd talk to me about God, and we'd hang out. And I got interested on my own on a TV show. It is written. I actually was sitting in the, the bathroom, I mean the library room, I mean the bathroom, when I was five. And I wrote and I ordered for It Is Written as a kid. And I got it, I started reading it. Then at six, we used to play mass in my friend's house. I would be the priest with the garb, and we have the altar boy and the altar girl. I'm serious. And we do this stuff with the communion, get a little bread. And juice. It wasn't wine, too bad. I was too young. But um, so we do that. So I felt, where did that come from? My parents didn't tell me about God that much. And it was just God was putting something in me. But when did I really come to know Jesus? When I was 31, 26 years later. Now, if God said, Daryl, I have a plan for you. You're going to come to me at 31. I said, God, can't we do it earlier? Then I said, okay, God. Let me, then he would if he tells me what's going to happen, let me quickly tell you. Parents separate, a lot of fighting. I would be my dad and my mom back and forth. She got mental challenges. She'd be screaming out loud during the middle of the night. My father would gotten into gambling trouble. I would hit him on the weekends, going back and forth, a lot of instability. Um, what happened was uh, I, uh, my father died when I was 18. Shocked me. I got engaged to a Christian girl when I was, I mean, I was 22, and I felt that was God's gift for me. And I told her that. Then a year later, everything was fine. We were engaged. She said, I can't marry you. And I said, why not? She says, because of God. I said, what are you talking about? And then that was it. Could you imagine thinking God gave you a gift, and you, the gift of your life, and now she's telling you she can't marry you because of God? Try to put that in your theology. And I won't go into detail. That really took the stuff. I didn't go to church, mass for like two years later, struggling with that. Then my mother got cancer. And then she was okay. And then my, 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 my company, which I love, said they're going to move to Tennessee. Because all of the incidents I saw, I had headaches for eight months. Doctors thought I had cancer, I, I turned out fine. Then my mom uh, started to get worse and worse. She died when I was 30. And I, I didn't want to, I was going to kill myself, but I was really devastated. I wanted to give up. And then Easter Sunday, uh, when I was 31, they invited me to church, New Life Fellowship, and the pastor was talking about God loves my hand. My hand went up. And that's the day I met Jesus. But if God revealed stuff to me when I was five, if he told me everything I had to go through to get there, I said, Lord, no, get me off. I'm hightailing out of Dodge. I'm not going anywhere near this. Forget this stuff. And that's one of the reasons, God. I'm not saying you have to go through that. I hope not. But uh, that's why God doesn't tell us everything. Okay. So we're going to read the story of Joseph now. Because I want to show you an example of the Bible. And this will fit in with Sarah's course as well as what I just shared about me. Um, it's going to take a couple of minutes. I preached on Joseph years ago. Two Sundays, 13 chapters. We're going to do 13 chapters in five minutes. So bear with me at the story. Keep in mind that... Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, had children, and Joseph was his favorite one. Let's see how this takes up. Joseph had a dream. Okay, good. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They hated him to begin with because he was the father's favorite son. He said to them, listen to this dream I have. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered in mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then they had another dream, and he told his brothers, Listen, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Joseph's brothers saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, 
they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and devour him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue them from his hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said that to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when the Midianites merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Meanwhile, the Misraelites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Joseph, God gave him this dream about his main purpose, his plan for him, right? And he got all excited, got too excited, he was immature, and his brothers really way over after wanted to kill him, and then he gets sold into slavery. What about the plan that God has for him? What happened? Right? Okay. Uh, now Joseph had taken down to the Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. The captain of the guard bought him from the Israelites who had taken there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. I'm going to skip over. So there, God, Joseph is really kind of imprisoned. He's in this place he thought he'd never be, but he's uh, still focusing on God, and God in the trial's favor is on him, you see. Even through this thing that's going on in his life, he doesn't say God's favor is on him, right? I'm going to read down. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph hmm, and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her house and ran. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph's trying to follow God, work with integrity, right? And the wife lies about him, and now he's in prison for something unjustly. What's going on? Where's the plan, right? What's going on with God's purpose? But he's focusing on God. So, um, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Again, his favor. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those and held in prison, and he was responsible for all that was done there. The captain of the guard assigned the chief cupbearer and the chief baker to Joseph, and he attended them. And after that, been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meeting of its own. We both had dreams. Uh, and they're asking him about interpretation, and Joseph says, does not interpretation belong to God? So I'm going to skip. Basically what happens was Joseph interpreted the cupbearer's dream, and the cupbearer is excited. And he promised Joseph that he would say a good thing about him to the king, and then Joseph would get out. But if you look down at verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Imagine that. Imagine being in that life. God's got a plan for me, purpose, and all this stuff's happening to me. I thought this was it, and he's still in prison. Then he meets Pharaoh, and we're in the home stretch here. Pharaoh has dreams. He wants interpretations. Nobody can interpret it. And here's Joseph. The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean ugly cows that come up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of scorched by the east wind. There is the seven years of Pharaoh. I'm just going to read this paragraph, and then I'll skip ahead. It's just that I said to Pharaoh. He's going to tell him what the dream means. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of abundance are coming through, seven years of famine. Then there will be abundance and Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will ravage the land. The abundance of the land will be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do soon. Then he tells him what to do. 
what's going to happen, how he could deliver the people. And then finally, I'm skipping ahead just to save time, at the end, verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all the people are submitted to your orders. Only respect to the throne will I be greater to you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So it was 14 years between the time God revealed the plan, part of the plan and that that came to fruition. But Joseph had to go through a lot during that time, and God was shaping him through those processes for his purpose, right? But God's favor was upon him. What, how was Joseph able to withstand the temptation, continue to follow God through all this? Because he knew that God had a purpose, and he was using these processes to shape him, to form him, and believe that God was going to come through for him. Let's put up the last uh, slide. I'd like to invite you to stand. And I'll pray for you guys. Thanks for listening to the Joseph thing. I know it was a little long, but... Um, let me ask you a question. Just think about this. What's really going on in your life? What life process are you going through? A major change? Time of uncertainty? Are you in between jobs? Major decision process? Waiting on something to happen? Waiting on an answer to prayer? healing, grieving, going through a trial, difficult situation? What is God trying to teach you, speak to you about, impart to you? What may be God speaking to you about his plan, his purpose, his calling for your life?